Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Good morning. My name is Amy, and I will be reading today from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. When I have finished, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you can please respond with saying, thanks be to God. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Pray with me one more time, please. Father in heaven, um, would you help us right now uh, to see our desperate need to fight for our faith until the end? Would you awaken us um, to every hindrance that, that stands in our way to that, every path that um, we might take that leads us away from you? Would you grant us grace to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? God, would you convict us of sin and unbelief and the evil of spiritual apathy? Would you stir our hearts today and light a fire inside of us to fight for our faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, last year, I trained for a race called the Spartan Beast, and um, it was down in central Florida. The Beast is a half marathon with a catch. Um, So you basically do a half marathon, but then there are like 30 man-made obstacles throughout this race. Um, Things like walls that you got to climb over and, you know, monkey bar type things and buckets of rocks, you know, that you've got to put on your shoulder and carry and um, rope climbs and different things like that. And then there's a bunch of like natural obstacles along the way too, which when you do it in central Florida means swamps, um, which I did not know that I was getting into swamps. Um, uh, But as I trained for this race, you know, um, I would run and I would picture in my mind's eye myself in peak physical condition, you know, with the the Rocky IV theme playing in my head um, and running across the finish line with my head held high. Um, That's not (laughs) at all what happened. Um, instead, about a month before the race, I started developing this intense knee pain in both of my knees. And um, instead of, you know, running across the finish line with my head held high, I hobbled across the finish line. In fact, I hobbled through every single step of that race um, in a ton of pain. Um, it actually took five months before I ran again after that race. Um, 
Our passage today in 2 Timothy, Paul is going to compare the Christian life to a race. And this is often the way that he thought about the Christian life, was that it was a race. And um, then the Christian life isn't a 5K. Uh, It is a little bit more like the beast in the swamps of Florida, um, where there are obstacles in your way. It's way way harder than, uh, than you think it's going to be, um, and you will find yourself hobbling along at certain points. But Paul, um, Paul sees that we have a role to play, that this is the same Paul who believes in the sovereignty of God, who believes that God is going to get every single one of his children to the end of their lives still believing, And yet he also says, we've got to fight to get there, that we have a part to play to get to the end of our lives still believing. I mean, and that's what he's getting at in this statement. When he says, I fought the good fight, that good fight is talking about the fight to keep his faith in the midst of everything, to stay loyal to King Jesus through everything. That's what Paul's talking about. Um, If we are going to finish our race, there are going to be obstacles, there are going to be pains along the way, there are going to be stumbles and falls, there are going to be setbacks, but we must keep fighting the fight to get to the finish. And today what we're going to do is we're going to, so Paul wrote both letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, to Timothy to encourage him to this end. He actually brings the body of both letters to the same conclusion, um, saying in 1 Timothy chapter 6, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In both letters, Paul is trying to put himself forward as an example, and he's saying, look, Timothy, follow my example. Finish well. Finish well. In this second letter, 2 Timothy, like he's, he's in prison in Rome awaiting execution. So what he's saying is, I made it. Timothy, I made it. And my faith is still strong. I still love Jesus. I stayed loyal to him to the end. Now you do the same. So here's the way that we're going to look at this today, is I want to ask the question, how did he do that? And there are a lot of ways that we could answer that. There's so much in here that we can, that we can pull out. But I want to just pull out four things that we see in both of these letters that are characteristic of, characteristics of Paul, that are true of Paul, that need to be true of us if we will be able to get to the end of our race and say, I finished. I finished well, and I've kept the faith. Um, despite the obstacles despite the trials, despite the fact that my flesh and my sin 
and the devil and the world was up against me. In spite of it all, I got to the end of my race and I finished. What do we do? How do we get there? Here's my outline, how to fight for your faith. I've got four points. Trust Jesus through trials. Continue in the word and cling to the gospel. Become a man or woman of prayer. And maintain a clear conscience. So not all the things that Paul did, but it's a good start. So we're going to look at these four and um, see what we can learn from Paul in the way that he fought for his faith. All right, so number one. We need to trust Jesus through trials. In um, 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Endure suffering. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Paul has hit on this theme over and over and over again throughout his letter, this letter to Timothy. Um, he's made it abundantly clear that suffering is part of the Christian life. And the reality is that, that suffering is part of everyone's lives. But Paul has pointed out that um, Christians will suffer as Christians. We will suffer for righteousness. sake. We will suffer for the gospel. And that Christians are to expect suffering. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he, he had said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so he's trying to prepare Timothy and, and the Holy Spirit writing through Paul to Timothy and now through this letter to us is saying, Don't be shocked when you suffer. Don't be surprised. It, it doesn't make suffering easy, but it certainly helps when you know to expect it. In fact, First um, Peter chapter 4, 12-13 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Peter's saying, fiery trials are part of the Christian life. Don't be thrown off by them when they come. And it won't make it easy, but it will help to know that it's part of the deal. The, the Christian is to see tests as an opportunity to keep trusting Jesus when things are hard. That's, that's the way we're supposed to approach them. See them as a test. Um, don't be shocked by them. Paul endured beatings, stonings, shipwrecks, imprisonments, verbal attacks, abandonment from friends, and crushing concern for the churches he planted. But he kept trusting Jesus through all of them. When one synagogue whipped him for sharing Jesus as the Messiah, he went to the next town and entered the synagogue again. I mean, How? How do you do that? Like, how do you keep walking straight into situations that you know are going to result in a beating? <laughs> the answer is that Paul's trials serve to make his faith more resilient. 
We read about Paul being dragged out of the city in Lystra in Acts 14 and being stoned with stones to the point that they think he's dead. And everybody goes back in the city, leaves him there for dead. The disciples gather around him and he gets up and he walks back in the city. How does he, how does he do that? The, the answer is that his faith had already been strengthened through previous trials. By the time he went through this trial at Lystra, he'd already experienced incredible hostility and rejection for the gospel in Damascus, in Jerusalem, in Antioch, and in Iconium. Just that we know of. And so the answer to how does he do that is he didn't go, Paul didn't go through all of his trials all at once. He went through one trial at a time, and he endured that. And, his, and, and, and he was, you know, weak because of it. But then he got stronger. His faith grew back stronger. And then he went into the next trial with a more resilient, stronger faith. Your faith is actually very much, I think, like our bodies, our muscles. We, we actually strengthen our muscles by tearing them down. I don't know if you knew that, but that's what exercise does. It, it actually tears your muscles down. It breaks them down. And then when they rebuild, they, they rebuild actually stronger than they were previously. And your faith is just like that. Your, your faith, when you go through a test, it gets torn down. And in the midst of your trial, your faith actually feels weaker than it did before the trial. But it's after that, when your faith gets rebuilt, that you are stronger than before. Think about Peter. What was Peter's strongest, what was his, his biggest test? It was the night that he betrayed Jesus three times. The night that his Savior got arrested. And he failed. What did Jesus say to him before that test? He said, Satan's demanded to sift you like wheat. But take heart, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, here's what I've prayed for you, Peter, and here's how I know that you're going to be okay. Your faith's not going to fail. Now, in the middle of that test, where's Peter? If you know the story, he's, he went back to fishing. He's like, I am not worthy to be a disciple, much less the leader of these guys. I'm going back to my old stuff. I'm going back to fishing. And Jesus comes. He finds him fishing, right? He cooks him breakfast. He takes him for a walk, and he's like, hey, Pete. <laughs> he's like, you love me? And, and Peter's like, you know I love you, Lord. You know I love you. And he asked him that three times, and in this conversation, he restores Peter's faith. And Peter comes back stronger than before the trial. And then he's able to strengthen his brothers, just like what Jesus told him. That's what your trials do. That's what your trials do when you keep trusting Jesus through them. 
James 1, um, 2 through 3, James writes, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So how do you look at a trial or a test and have joy in it? This is the answer. You realize that this is the best workout that you can possibly get for your faith. And in the end, you're going to be stronger than you were before. Some of you are in the middle of a trial, and you need this. Some of you just came out of a trial, and you know this. Some of you are about to go into a trial, and you need to remember this. You're in one of those three camps. Because this, this, this is all that life is. It's just one test after another. And each one has the potential to make us stronger. If we will be trained by it, Hebrews, Hebrews 12 says. If we will be trained by it, it will produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So let, our, let your trials train you. Let your trials strengthen your confidence in Jesus. And you can finish this race. Number two, point number two. Continue in the word and cling to the gospel. Um, there, Paul has made it abundantly clear through both of these letters that he wants Timothy to cling to the word and the gospel, to, to stick to the doctrine that had been passed on to him, to keep preaching that, not to veer from it, and to keep believing and preaching the true gospel, not to step one step to the right or to the left, to stay on that path. And he has been encouraging Timothy to that end throughout the whole thing. In uh, 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17, he had said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He's talking about the gospel there. Remember what you were taught. Don't, don't, don't veer from that. Remember the gospel. Don't veer from that. This is what Paul knows is necessary if you will get to the end of your race keeping the faith. What good would it do to get to the end of your life and find that you have had faith in another gospel that is not the true gospel at all? That's why he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He did not want Timothy to do what so many others had done, which was to start out well, believing the true gospel, and then turn and walk away and follow another gospel. He says it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and the hearers, your hearers. 
To put it negatively, he's saying, Timothy, if you ever veer away from the gospel you first received, you will be damning yourself and your hearers. That's what he's saying. The same danger exists for us today that existed then. That if we veer away from the true gospel and begin to believe a false gospel of any kind, whether that's a false gospel of license or legalism, of, of righteousness by works, or some other Jesus that's not the true Jesus. Your soul is at stake. And so we must stay in the Word. It isn't popular to be a Bible-believing Christian in America today. And so we need, to, we need to prepare ourselves to stand firm no matter what pressures come against us to make compromises here or there for the sake of peace with someone or some belief. We must stay firm with the Word of God. Resist the pressures to, to veer away from the Word of God and the true gospel. Um, Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. In other words, watch out for sin that creeps into your life and that, that begins to undermine your faith. Watch out for the things that you're being told, the things that you're, you're listening to. Watch out. Watch yourself very closely. This is, this is for all of us. There's so many messages coming at us, more today than I think any other time because of the internet, because of social media, because of the day we live in. We need to watch ourselves closely. Am I still believing and standing upon the gospel that Jesus Christ came, that he lived the sinless life I could never live, that he went to the cross in my place, that he took my sins upon himself on the cross, that he absorbed the wrath of God for me. He absorbed God's wrath for me and gave me new life when he was raised from the dead. Am I still believing that today, or did I just pray a prayer one time? Do I believe it today? I need to keep a close watch on myself. Cling to the Word of God and the Gospel. I need to renew my mind every day in God's Word and guard myself by the power of the Holy Spirit against the schemes of the devil that seek to pull me away from the truth. Point number three. If we're going to finish this race, we need to become men and women of prayer. Now, I, just, I have a confession to make. The Lord has been convicting me so much about this. That I have been a man who prays, but not a man of prayer. And, I, and there's a difference. There's, there's a difference in praying when you're having your quiet time and before a meal and at night before you go to bed and being a person who is marked by prayer that everything that you do is covered in prayer that you know that if you don't pray you can't get through the day 
that you know that what Jesus said is true. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so you wouldn't dare try to do anything apart from prayer. And I confess, and I am sorry that I have not been a man of prayer. And I'm seeing the reality. I'm seeing the truth that we must be men and women of prayer. Like, we shouldn't think, well, there, there are those that are prayer warriors, and that's like their thing, and I'm a doer. No. No, no, no. The hardest work is done on our knees. And the only work that ultimately will produce any fruit later is done on our knees. If you want to be a doer, praise God, but begin on your knees. We must be men and women of prayer if we will get to the end. This was true of Paul. He says in this letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.3, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. That's, that's Paul's way. He says in 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer should characterize and drive everything the church does. Paul didn't just pray. He was a man of prayer. It was his life. He understood that if God didn't protect and empower and direct his life, he would not make it to the end. There were too many enemies coming against him. Without God's power, we cannot live the Christian life. Pastor Peter Scazzaro put it this way. He says, Our activity for God can only flow from life with God. We cannot give what we do not possess. What's your life with God look like right now? In the book, Old Paths, New Power, Daniel Henderson writes, Prayer is the only means of siphoning supernatural strength through the dimensions of the universe into our human world. It's an interesting way of putting it. Prayer is the only way to siphon God's power into your life. Jesus, the Son of God, knew this. Jesus prayed all night long before he chose his disciples. He went and prayed and poured out his soul before he went to the cross. He needed, he knew he needed times away from everyone and everything alone with the Father in order to keep going. He spent 40 days in the wilderness with the Father before he began his public ministry. We need this as well. Leonard Ravenhill, a, man, a great man of prayer, once said, A man may study because his brain is hungry for knowledge, even Bible knowledge, but he prays because his soul is hungry for God. It's possible to study the Bible and leave God out of it. But prayer is the doorway into the throne room of heaven. If you're stuck in a rut in your spiritual life, Typically, there's only one reason we get stuck, and it is because of a lack of prayer. It is because we give up praying. So turn back to him in prayer. Restore intimacy with him 
in prayer. This is the key to knowing Jesus as your friend. The Bible will tell you about him, but only prayer can transport you into his presence. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Those are the words of a man who spent time in the presence of Jesus. So don't just pray. Become a man or woman of prayer. If you want to finish this race, still trusting Jesus, still loyal to Jesus, still loving Jesus, you must pray. Point number four. Paul saw that if he was going to finish his race, he would have to maintain a clear conscience. Now, some of you were here I, eight months ago. I preached uh, a sermon, and I talked about this when we went through First Timothy in chapter one. Um, but you don't remember that number one, and number two, uh, many of you weren't here. So I want to go back over this. This is so important. This is so important. The word conscience is something that we don't we don't even think about much in our modern day. But it, is, it appears twice in the book of Acts, 20 times in Paul's letters, five times in the book of Hebrews, and three times in 1 Peter. Paul points to the vital importance of keeping a clear conscience four times in his first letter to Timothy. And then he mentions it again in 2 Timothy 1.3. This is, I want to show you how, how huge this was in Paul's mind when it comes to finishing well. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 18 and 19, he tells Timothy, wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying some people rejected a, a good conscience, a clear conscience, And so they shipwrecked in their faith. They didn't make it to the end. This is so, so important for us to understand. So let me give you an overview of the the conscience. The conscience is a priceless gift from God. It's an an internal witness, a moral compass, if you will, to help you that's given to every person, every single person. God has given a conscience. Um, to help you to understand right and wrong. It, it's like the sensors on your hand that tell you to pull back when you touch something hot. That's how your conscience works. When, when you engage with sin, your conscience tells you to pull back and to turn to God. But because of the fall, because of sin, because of our fallen nature, our consciences are defiled, corrupted, because we have sinned, our consciences are defiled, Titus 1.15 says. They don't work properly. Beyond that, our consciences are too often ignored. When we ignore or reject that internal awareness of right and wrong, and we sin, we wound our conscience. That's 1 Corinthians 8.12. 
To do that over and over again is to reject your conscience altogether, which ultimately stops it from working. This is what I believe these men did in, that Paul's referring to in 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19. They, they rejected it altogether to the point it stopped working. I still remember um, being in the sixth grade, and I had this friend who was a rebel, and he convinced me to go against my better judgment and ignore my conscience. And it was the first time that I really blatantly just went against my conscience. And I remember how hard it was, how, how much it felt like it was tearing at my soul. And then the second time, it wasn't so hard, not as hard. And then the third time, it was a little less hard. And by the time I got into high school, I was just pretty much up for anything. And, I, and I, I, whatever, whatever evil desire I had, I would pursue. That's what happens when we ignore our conscience. In fact, Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4 when he says that there are false teachers whose consciences are seared. That, that, that's this picture of being burned to the point of losing feeling altogether. But God had mercy on me. He had mercy on me. And as a college student, pursuing my sin as, as hard as I could, he reawakened my conscience. And I, out of nowhere, began to feel just miserable in my sin. And I began to search for him to find peace. And in that search, I discovered the gospel. And I finally understood what Christ had done for me on the cross. And I found forgiveness for my sin. God justifies moral failures like me as a pure act of grace. And when we turn from our life of sinning, confess that Jesus really is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. When we believe the good news about Jesus, the Bible says that we, along with our defiled consciences, are cleansed by the blood that Jesus spilled when he died on the cross. Peter calls baptism, which is what we do in response to belief in the gospel, an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.21 So before I go any further, I need to ask you, have you turned from your sin to Jesus and put your trust in Him as your Savior and as your Lord? And then have you received, as a result of your faith in Christ, cleansing both you and your conscience, by his blood. If you have not done that, why would you not? Why would you not receive the gift of a clear conscience? There is nothing like a clear conscience. <laughs> and a clear conscience is the soil in which faith grows. So how do we maintain a clear conscience for those of us who are Christians. I want to give you 
four things really quickly. First, don't ever go against it. Don't wound your conscience with intentional sin. You are undermining your faith every time you do that. To intentionally choose sin is to destroy the peace and the joy that God has offered you in the gospel. The scriptures teach that if you can't do something with a completely clear conscience, you should not ever do it. And if you have never studied that, it's Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 that talk about it. Secondly, other than not ever going against your conscience, let God calibrate your conscience with the Word of God. Um, the fact of the matter is we have fallen, we, we are fallen in our faculties now because of sin. And so we can make wrong moral judgments and be thinking completely wrongly about things until suddenly we are reading God's Word and we see ourselves like looking in a mirror that we have been wrong all along. And the Word of God says that when that happens, we should change our thinking and, and align our thinking to His Word. And that is to calibrate your conscience. So you must adjust your conscience to agree with God. Thirdly, when you do sin and wound your conscience, and you will, quickly confess your sin to God and to whoever you've sinned against and ask for forgiveness. This is so important because when we don't confess, I mean, when we sin and we just sweep it under the rug, we are not restoring our conscience. And our conscience will gradually become more and more defiled and more and more numb, and it will quit working. Be like having no nerves in your hands and just burning yourself all the time or hurting yourself all the time. But when you confess your sin to God, when you confess your sin to the person you sinned against, a spouse or a family member or a coworker or a friend, you're, you're healing your conscience. And then fourthly, believe the promises of God to you in the gospel. The promise that God makes to blood-bought believers in 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we genuinely confess and repent, we restore our consciences to work the way that they were meant to work, to be the thing that guards us from sin. Only Christians can have a truly clean conscience. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews 10, 22, says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. The fact of the matter is, we can't draw near to God with full assurance of faith without clear consciences. And that's why, for Paul, this was so important. That's why he brought it up four times in his first letter to Timothy, and again in his second letter to Timothy. It's why it shows up 20 times in his letters. Because he saw that if you ignore a clear conscience 
and you don't deal with that, you undermine your faith. You weaken your faith. And you can destroy your faith and never make it to the end of the race believing. So, brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity today because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you on the cross to cleanse your conscience through confession and repentance. And I promise you, I think probably 80%, 90% of the depression that I have dealt with in my life has come back to, I needed to deal with something in my conscience. And I think maybe 80%, 90% of the depression that we deal with in our lives would be solved if we had a clear conscience and total peace with God. You, you know that Jesus bought perfect peace with God for you? He purchased that for you. But we have to reach out and take it, right? We have to reach out and, and take what's been given to us by faith. To be sure, there are many other ways that Paul fought the fight of faith. I mean, he practiced self-control in all things. He, he was a man who relentlessly disciplined himself so that nothing would get in the way of him running his race. He practiced gratitude in everything. Like all through his letters, he's encouraging people to, to be thankful there are many things that he did to help him finish his race, but I promise you that if you'll give yourself to these four things that we looked at today, if you'll trust Jesus through trials, if you'll continue in the word and clinging to the gospel, if you'll become a man or woman of prayer, if you'll maintain a clear conscience, then you will be better friends with Jesus. You will enjoy peace and joy consistently no matter what life throws at you. And you'll get to the end of your race and be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. I kept the faith. And there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me in heaven. Don't you want that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for providing for us through your death um, and through your resurrection righteousness, justification with God, peace with God, the power to live a new life. You have given us everything we need. You've given us your spirit. And now, Lord, I pray, help us to Keep trusting you every step of the way, no matter what trial we come up against, no matter what test we go through. Help us, Lord, to cling to you, to keep trusting you through those things. Help us, Lord, to cling to your word and to the gospel and never to veer away from it. God, help us to be men and women of prayer. May our lives be marked by this. May we depend upon you every single day for what we need. God, forgive us for trusting in ourselves, for leaning on our own understanding.
for not crying out to you in our times of need. God, keep us faithful to the end and help us to maintain clear consciences, to confess our sin quickly, to turn away from it quickly when we sin, to believe the gospel and believe that your blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Keep us to the end, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.